I got a word for the day, and we're going to be looking at two passages of Scripture that are the foundation for my message. The first is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Prior to this, Paul says, If I speak in tongues, if I have the gift of prophecy, if I have faith, if I give all I possess to the poor, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Love never fails. Now Paul wrote a second letter to the church in Corinth, and in this he picks up on that theme of what love can do and how love transforms people's lives. And he tells us that because of that love, we don't have to look at people the way we used to look at them. Because we look at them not for who they were, but for who they can become. Because he says in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The new life has come. The old life has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now here's the gospel, folks. Right here, verse 19, it's the gospel. Verse 19 says... God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. This is the good news of God. This is God's word, and God's people did say, amen. Now, today I'm not beginning a, a new sermon series, but I'm beginning a series of messages different topics and subjects over the next, next eight weeks that I've been backlogging for several weeks that I've been wanting to share and waiting for the right time. I believe there are going to be practical messages and relevant messages, and next week on Mother's Day, I'm preaching a sermon with two alternative titles. The first is, The Best Way to Wreck Your Kids. <laughs> the positive alternative is, the best way to prepare your kids. And by kids, I mean all our kids. We all have children, whether we have children in our home or not. But this weekend, what I want to talk about today is something important to all of us, and that is our families. Raise your hand if you belong to a family. Raise your hand if you were born in a family. Raise your hand if you've ever been challenged by a member of your family. 
When people come to see me during the week and make an appointment for some counseling with me, uh, I can almost be sure about 50 to 60, 75% of the time what they're going to talk to me about. They want to talk about something that's happened in their own family. Because it is true, it, it is so true what's been said, that our families are our greatest source of joy and pleasure. But at the same time, our family can be the source of our greatest stress, anxiety, and sorrow. Now, we will know this is true, that sometimes the people that hurt us the most are those who are the closest to us. And the wounds that come and the hurts that come from being a part of family are oftentimes the deepest to heal, the deepest cuts. Am I right? Am I speaking the truth this morning? Is anybody holding on to something this morning? Yeah, we all are. Now, my wife has been very generous to let me tell you this story. I've learned after uh, 25 years of marriage and being a minister that it is better to ask your permission first before you use her in an illustration. And so I have to make a confession. I love raisins. I, I eat ra- you wouldn't be, you'd be amazed how many raisins I eat a day. I'm, I'm not kidding. I eat raisins for breakfast. I eat raisins for lunch. I eat raisins in between breakfast and lunch. Uh, I eat raisins for dinner. I eat raisins before I go to bed. And the problem with me eating raisins is not so much the raisins. It's what happens with the raisins. You see, I'm clumsy, forgetful, and uh, I spill things. I might just take a full cup of coffee and set it on the roof of my car when the sunroof is open. You know, I spill coffee happens. I spill coffee. I spill gummy bears. I spill Cheerios. I I spill everything. One one day I spilled a whole bowl of cereal tripping over the dog. I just spill stuff everywhere. The problem with raisins is they're dark and you can't see them when you spill them. And the problem with raisins is that you step on raisins and they bond with the hardwood floor. The problem with raisins is that I don't have good eyesight. I'm about half blind. And the problem is that I'm just sloppy, messy, and dirty and I'm a man, I'm preaching, and I know, I know that when my wife, as loving and sweet as she is, is walking through the house with a razor blade and her knees are red from scraping up raisins, she might just turn that razor on me. It's true. All marriages have those things. Have, we all have our raisins. But we've been married a long time. And like you in our marriage, we've had ups and we've had downs. Good seasons and hard seasons. And if we waited sometimes to work everything out so that we wouldn't go to bed mad, we'd never sleep sometimes. <laughs> but we, we are a step family. And I married Teresa when our daughter was nine years old. And being a step family itself has its own unique challenges. You see, and this is nothing new, really, because it's biblically ancient. Cain, the first story in the Bible, the first theme in the Bible, Cain killed Abel. You read on a little bit, and Jacob was spoiled by his mother, hated by his father, cheated his own brother, and then turned around and did the same thing to his own sons. And his own son, Joseph, was sold off into slavery out of jealousy and envy. 
Turn a few pages, you read about David, and boy, did David have trouble with his own family. At one point, one of David's own sons tried to take the kingdom from him. At one point in the New Testament, you think Jesus wouldn't have trouble with his family, but they sent someone into the synagogue when he was preaching. Tell him to get out of here. His brothers and sisters want to talk to him because Jesus has lost his mind. And then Jesus tells a story about a family, a father and two sons. And one son takes half the family inheritance and blows it on hard living. Families, the source of joy, the source of sorrow. So the other day when I was walking through a bookstore and I saw a book with this title, Love Like You've Never Been Hurt. Let me say it one more time. Love Like You've Never Been Hurt. It stopped me dead in my tracks. What do you mean love like you've never been hurt? Well, the book was written by Jensen Franklin, and he's a minister of a large church in Georgia and very successful and well-known in the Christian community. And he wrote this book about a time in his own life, in his own family, when they're having some significant family problems. He and his wife decided to write this book because they wanted to let people know that everyone has family problems. He wrote this book at a time when his ministry was soaring. His church was growing. He was speaking all over the United States. And he said, things were so stressful in my home that at times I, I felt like I was coming apart on the inside while everything was blowing up on the outside and people couldn't see how much we were hurting. And he said, every Sunday just to get up and preach was a struggle. I had to get down on my hands and knees because I felt like a phony. They're having problems with their daughter their oldest daughter. One Sunday morning, it got so bad, his wife walked in before he was about to preach and said, Jensen, you can stay here and preach, or you can go with me right now and get our daughter and to bring her home. And he left. And over the next year or two, it was a very difficult time. You can imagine him, like anybody, you've done this, standing here with the hands, you're not leaving the house mad. You're not, you're not getting past me. Yelling, arguing, fighting, trying everything, begging, pleading, nothing seemed to work. And then he said he read this quote by Mark Twain, sing like nobody's listening, dance like nobody's watching, and love like you've never been hurt. And he said he and his wife made a decision at that moment that no matter what his daughter did, no matter how far she ran away from the family, no matter how she walked against their standards and values, no matter how much she hurt them, they were just going to love her. But they'd never been hurt. They were going to keep reaching out to her. They were going to keep forgiving her. And he said, we wrote this book because we want to tell people to never give up on their families. Because loving a family and keeping a family together is hard work. Just keep forgiving. Just keep loving. Just keep showing up. Just keep saying, I love you. I'm not going to let anything separate from me from you. We love you, and we're going to love you like we've never been hurt. The powerful thing is, and when you think about it, isn't that how God loves us? We hurt God. We, we disappoint God. We, we fail God. We, we leave God. God reaches out to us. We don't reach back. We take what God gives us, and then we stamp on it. We stomp on it. We're not grateful. 
We don't return his love to us, to others. And yet God just keeps reaching out to us, loving us like we've never been hurt. I mean, think about Jesus himself. Think about him. The world condemned him. The world shamed him. The world took away his dignity. The world killed him. He refused to condemn his enemies. Then on Easter Sunday, he came back and showed up in the world like he'd never been hurt and just kept loving people that hurt him like he'd never been hurt. That's who God is. It doesn't mean we don't hurt God. It's just who God is. And that's why Paul wrote that letter and he said, love never fails. And what that means for me and for you is, what if we begin to love the way that God loved us? What if we begin to love like we'd never been hurt. For we begin to say, I know you've hurt me and, and I've hurt you, but I'm not going to give up on us. No matter how far you've run from me, I'm not going to give up on you. No matter how angry I am, I'm not going to stop loving you. Will you have dinner with me? Will you just talk with me? I love you. Now, I want to be really careful here because I want to be very careful to say that does not mean that we let people walk all over us. That does not mean that we become someone's punching bag. That doesn't mean that if you're married and you're in an abusive relationship with someone who will not change, that you don't walk out of the marriage and leave the marriage behind. That doesn't mean that you're going to continue to enable your children to destroy their lives by giving them money so that they will not fall flat on their face and have to pick themselves up off the ground. Sometimes it means setting boundaries. Love means setting boundaries. Sometimes love means doing the hard thing. Sometimes loving means doing the tough thing. Sometimes we have to love people from a distance. Sometimes it means loving in a way that the love has never returned to us. But you can love that way without hating and being hate-filled and, and continuing to hurt and allowing the anger and the resentment to build in you. And sometimes it means we have to love from a distance. You see, that's what Paul is saying when he wrote that letter to the Corinthians. Oh, I love it. People read that and they go, oh, it sounds like a mushy, sentimental kind of love we read it at weddings it's romantic we 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 don't listen to it we don't hear it but i want to tell you the love described in the 13th chapter it's muscular it's it's tough it's real it's action he says love is not easily angered love keeps no record of wrongs and when he writes let me tell you paul felt it in his bones because paul was a hater Paul was more about being right than he was about being kind. Paul, Paul was willing to punish those that didn't agree with him. And, and then love found Paul and didn't keep a record of his wrongs. And over a long period of time, Paul was transformed from a hater to a lover. And so when Paul says love never fails, he's saying, look at me, look at my life. You can see who I become, not who I was. And then that's why Paul goes on and writes that second part of the second letter where he says, so we don't look at people the way we used to look at them. 
We don't look at people for who they were because we know that when God touches a life, God can change anything. God can bring back the dead to life. God can restore any person, bring new hope. to. Nobody's too far gone for God to change their life. So stop looking at people from a human point of view and look at them through, who, through Christ, through your heart, so you can see what they are going to become and love them like they've never been hurt before. He says, because look at you, God did not turn you away, did not hold your sins against you, and forgave you. And then he says, so we've given you this ministry of reconciliation. How can you hold it against them when God has not held it against you? Now, Jensen Franklin asked a question in his book that really should drop you to your knees and drop me to my knees. And his question is this. He said, what would your life be like if God did not respond to your weakness, your failure, your sins, your addictions with grace and love? Let me ask that again. What would your life be like if God did not respond to your weakness, your sins, your addictions, your failures, or your grace with love? Everybody here knows what I'm talking about. You got the brother you haven't spoken to in years after mom's estate was settled. You got the sisters-in-laws who don't speak to one another anymore after they got into it at the family vacation. Now it's a cold work Christmas across the dinner table. You got the son or daughter who's disappointed with heartbreak and with failure. Let me tell you what loving like you've never been hurt looks like. It means, it means never saying, love never says you've made your bed, now lie in it. Love will never say, I can't forgive you for what you've done. Love never refuses to return the calls. Love never sends the Christmas gifts back unopened and the letters sealed. Because love is the answer to the failing marriage. Love is the answer to the fractured relationship. Love is the answer to the child gone wrong. Love is the answer to the heartbreak. Love is the answer to being offended. Love would never turn out a son or daughter who says to mom or dad, I'm gay or lesbian. God made them the way they are. Who are we to condemn the way that God made somebody and tell them you can't be your real self? Love does not do that. That is not love. James Garfield was the 20th president of the United States, and after only a short time in office, he was shot. By the way, he was a minister in the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Good lesson if you're a minister, don't run for public office. <laughs> uh, but he, he died after 200 days in office. But it was that the wound did not kill him. The bullet was lodged behind his pancreas. The reason he died was because at that time they didn't understand about infection control. And for 80 straight days, doctors kept sticking their hands in the wound and probing the wound to remove the bullet, and he got infected and he died. My point being, the wounds that you have are not the things that will kill you. But it's the infection that grows from the wound. And you just keep probing the wound and picking the wound and 
nurturing the wound. At some point, you've got to decide to let God heal your wound. Things may never be what they were before. There are things that happen in families that change things forever. But they can be something new. Hear me now. You may not be able to go back to where you were. You may never be able to make it good again. But it can be new and different. You can go someplace new. And the thing is for you is you can't wait till you're healed to reach out in love. The healing occurs when you're reaching out and loving. The antidote for the wound is to just love like you've never been hurt, and before long, the hurt goes away. And let me tell you, Muhammad Ali got on the plane one time, and the stewardess looked at him, and he wasn't wearing his seatbelt, and said, Sir, you got to wear your seatbelt. Muhammad Ali said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she looked at him and said, Superman don't need no plane. My point is, you ain't Superman. You can't do this on your own. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need one to help us, to live inside of us, to help us do what we can't do for ourselves. Someone who loves us like we've never been hurt, to help us love like we've never been hurt. Look at this little church in Waynesboro, Tennessee. I end with this. You see the young, good-looking guy on the far end? That was me long time ago. See the little girl in the front with the sweet little dress with the red and the white dress? She used to call me the creature because she couldn't pronounce preacher. <laughs> I was over at her house for dinner one time with all her family, and this is my first church, and, and uh, I did the prayer. I looked up, and she looked right at me and took her hand across the table and stooped up some mashed potatoes and put them in her mouth. I never said a word. <laughs> one man in this picture uh, bankrupted his business. Another man in this picture struggled with alcohol all his life. A cute couple, the, the cute blonde and the young man with the beard, were members of the congregation. And one day they came to see me because she was pregnant and they weren't married. This is a small town, Tennessee, and small town, Tennessee, rumors and hard religion, hard lives. People make mistakes and turned out from their families. They came to see me. They were scared. They didn't know what to do, and I didn't know what the church would do. But this little church taught me how to love like you've never been hurt. And this little church threw a baby shower. Then they threw a bridal shower. Then they had a wedding. People were talking. They had a wedding. And then they dedicated her baby, their baby. And had a great life together. That's what family does. We don't turn people out for mistakes that they've made. And that's who we are as a church. We don't turn people away either. Let me say this to you. Maybe you're hurting in your family. But we can be family for you too. And let me end by saying this. What do you need to do today? Who do you need to call? Who do you need to text? Where do you need to make amends? 
What does it mean for you today to walk out here with a commitment to love like you've never been hurt?